This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. Everybody and welcome to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast where, oh man, I had it for so long and now I forget it. This is why we're recording an intro. Yeah, we're going to record an intro so we don't have to do this anymore. A horror podcast by two best friends dissecting slasher movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. This is my co-host, Be Bass. Hello. Um, so if you are tuning in for the first time, a basic breakdown is every two weeks we pick one slasher movie to completely dissect from... Uh, every aspect that we can from the score the poster the acting the directing everything and then at the end of the episode we rank it which you can find on our website which is keepscreaming.com and then you go right up to the top and you click the list and we have all of our rankings uh this will be our 21st movie that we are ranking um coming up on our one year anniversary of the show which is exciting um number one is still my bloody valentine from 1981 and april fool's day uh, rounds up the list at number 20 and there's a reason for that so go back and listen to that episode if you feel so inclined um let's see all the social media stuff let's just get that out of the way you can find us online like i said at keepscreaming.com we're also at poppeople.me which is uh our podcasting network that is hosted by brandon klein who's also our producer you can find us on twitter and instagram at ScreamingCast. we also are on twitter and instagram under our own handles um i am at Ryan writes left on Instagram and at Ryan Larson on Twitter and B is at B not B that's B E A B E E not B E A uh, and then lastly yeah you can find us on Apple Podcasts Castbox and Stitcher so rate review subscribe if you can and reach out to us and talk to us because we love talking to you about horror movies and about the slasher movies and letting you help us pick what is going to be our next one which is always a fun exercise as well. So the beginning of every episode, what we do is a pop culture check-in, which is where we talk about things that we watched or listened to or read that are not the um, movie that we were talking about that week. And so this week, I will mention right up top before I forget, Fall Out Boy dropped a new three-song EP. So mm-hmm. I have, of course, been listening to that nonstop because that's my favorite band ever. It's called Lake Effect Kid, and I love it. It's Have you heard it yet? It sounds very fully audio, the first two songs. And then the third Ooh. the third song sounds like Sign Mania. me up. Yeah. Sign me up for all that. Yeah. So We love Fall Out Boy and we mm-hmm. are not ashamed to say it. Yeah, not at all. And uh yeah, it's a it's a the whole album is a love letter to Chicago, which is where they're from. So it's just very endearing. It's very sweet. Um I watched All Cheerleaders All Cheerleaders Die, which is on Shudder right now mm-hmm. from Lucky McGee, who also did what's his other big one? May? Was that him? I think it is, yeah. Um mm-hmm. I really like this movie. It's same. Um, I th- I think it's a little underrated. It it's a little cheesy, but it's very like subversive with like playing with like the tropes of like the pretty girl and yeah. like um, doing all like kind of that like that mean girl trope. I think. Um, and it was actually supposed to have a sequel, and it never did, which is unfortunate because I really ended up enjoying it. And it, it like touches into some folklore that's not like they're all succubuses pretty much, mm-hmm. which is cool because they like that doesn't happen. You see lots of monsters and like 
certain supernatural things tread upon a lot. I feel like succubi is not one of them that comes up very often. Yeah, we get we get to like tap in this lore if you watch shows like Supernatural or Buffy or any kind of um, show along that vein, or even like the Teen Wolf TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, they tap into like a lot of different lore that we wouldn't normally get. So, you know, we get like vampires and werewolves and. Even, like, the Jersey Devil we get a lot of. And, like, stuff like that have become more common. Yeah. When you watch shows like that, you get exposed to all these really cool lores you didn't really know about. So I love it when it actually gets a, like, feature debut. Where mm-hmm. you can, or not a debut, but a feature focused on that particular lore. And it's a, yeah, it's a newer movie. Um, mm-hmm. I know he made it and then remade it. Like, he made it on a micro budget when he was still, like, up and coming. And then he remade it. Like, yeah, the, like, the main girl, she was in that show Rain from the CW. Yes, um, yeah. So, and at the time, like, it was, like, the first season of Rain was on. So when I watched the movie, when, what, it was, like, 2014 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, my goodness, like, that's the chick from Rain. And, yeah, it's a good, like, nice young attractive cast yeah yeah it's glossy it's bloody very bloody Mm -hmm. which i enjoyed uh great great soundtrack score oh yeah yeah yeah. it's very i mean it it fits the time very well um deadpool 2 came out on blu-ray so of course pick that up and watch that again which was great and i watched the longer cut which uh i was sometimes i pick up the long like when it's like longer extended cut of movies and i watch it i'm like i didn't notice (laughs) <laughs> like oh, I have to like look added. up. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, what did they add to this? But that one, I there were numerous things where I was like, oh, this joke was not in the original version. So uh, totally worth it to check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Deadpool two was a lot of fun. I think for me, I I think I still like the first one more. Um, but there are so many like winks to comic book fans in this one. Like. My wife was saying there are things that I was laughing at because there are jokes that comic book fans are going to pick up on that she just didn't get at all. They went, like, right over her head. But I I enjoy that they're willing to embrace that fandom, and I feel like they always have been, which is why I like the Deadpool movies. Um, and I love Ryan Reynolds, and I love him and his wife's relationship on Instagram, how they yeah. just tear each other up all the time. And I also now love that Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick are, like, best friends. Well, yeah. It's all just a beautiful world we live in now. I know. It's so great. Uh, Disenchantment came out, which is the new ne- uh, Netflix series from Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons and Futurama. It's the first part of the first season, so I think it's the first ten episodes. Uh, so I binge watched that because I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons and Futurama and have been since I was a kid. I mean, I'm a 90s kid, so The Simpsons literally came out the year I was born, so they have been around for 30 years. Uh, oh, my old I man. I turn 30 next month, everyone. Um <clears throat> But yeah, so Disenchantment, I really liked it. Around episode six, I think it really finds its legs. It has a much, it actually has like a, a, a solid like through storyline, which few drama would occasionally have like an overarching plot. And The Simpsons has never really had that other than like maybe a two or three episode stretch. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And then like around episode six, they they just like really figure out like what, where they want to go with the jokes. Um, and I ended up liking it a lot. And then to tie in the Bees movies, because I found out we both watched this in the last two weeks, Monsters University, um, which I had never seen. Like a crazy person. Yeah, so I'd never seen it, and I finally watched it, and I loved it. It was so so good. good. I laughed a a lot, and it made me sad, because Soli is a butt in it, and I love Soli, and, um, and it made me sad to see him as a jerk, but then, you know, of course, he comes around, and... 
it's just further proof that like I like Pixar is so good at everything they do. Yeah, it's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, we watch it too because <clears throat> we're going to Disneyland um, in Woo-hoo. October. And it is my husband's first time going ever, even though he's lived in California and actually lived in L.A. for like a couple years. Um, he's just a crazy person. And so we're going through and watching stuff. And I Monsters, Inc. is definitely like fights for like my favorite Pixar film, for sure. I love that movie so much. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it a million times. And so Monsters University, I've seen a few times. And so we're just trying to like go through and watch like everything before our trip and get we're just getting really excited about it. So we watch Monsters University and it just, I mean, I just find something new to love about it every time I watch it. And I just love how they manage to pull off so many parts where they're obviously making a nod to Monsters, Inc. Mm -hmm. And to plan a prequel when it has been so far from the original and obviously wasn't the original idea, they worked the storyline in to make the relationships that are what you know in Monsters, Inc. make so much more sense. Um, Which did a really good job like backtracking with the backstory with everybody. And I think when you go back and then watch Monsters, Inc., you kind of feel even more uh, connected to the characters and the relationships, mm-hmm. which I think is really strong. And I wanted, yeah, I need to rewatch Monsters, Inc. now that I've seen it because I feel yeah. like I would uh, enjoy it even more. I just, and John Goodman is so yeah. good at everything. And I love, yeah, the voice cast for Monsters University is so good. I mean, obviously, Billy Crystal and John Goodman yeah. coming back, but, like, Nathan Fillion is a huge part of yeah. it, and I love him. And Aubrey Plaza. Yes, yeah, yeah she's so good. And then uh, I found out that, like, because when I was looking up the monster that, like, inspires mike to be a scarer is john krasinski randomly just like just popping in so yeah super fun and yeah i'm you'll probably hear lots of disney stuff in the upcoming weeks because we're there's a group of 12 of us going um and so it's gonna be all disney (laughs) because we're getting like really really excited and we're still a month and a half out so there's gonna be a lot of disney stuff for sure for sure I watched, Co- speaking of Disney, I watched Coco for the first time. Oh my God, so beautiful. So beautiful. Came out last year. Um, it's a movie, a Pixar film about Dia de los Muertos. Um, it is just so spectacular. And actually, like, one of the only Pixar films to have, like, music as kind of, like, mm-hmm. an integral part. It's not yeah. a musical. No. They don't sing um, to progress and just break out in song. But there's a song called Remember Me in it that is like oh, a key plot point. That song. So and sad. no, it's just seriously, the way they use this song, they use it in the very beginning and you kind of know about it one way and you have one impression about what the song is and what it means. And then you hear it again a second time and you like find out kind of the real meaning of the song. And then the third time it plays, it literally like punches you in the oh freaking gut. Oh my god, dude. And it's a heartbreaker. It is. And it's just the whole entire movie that comes full circle through this one song. Mm-hmm. And everything else they do about this film is beautiful, amazing. It makes you like want to be a better daughter or son or brother mm-hmm. or mother or whatever. It makes you want to be a better family member. It makes you want to honor and remember your family and even your friends who have passed it makes you want to tell stories about them and keep their spirit living and Mm -hmm. keep what you loved about them alive um i think it's such an important film and 
I love that it was done by um, a Mexican uh, directors, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the, like entire the entire cast. cast. Yeah. Um, so it just feels very, and we grew up in a town that is like pretty much only white people and yep. Mexicans. Yep. That's it. Um, there's like no other cultures. And so to us, Mexican culture is very much like kind of a part of how we grew up. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's like 60, 40 in our town. It's like pretty close. Yes. Um, so I was very familiar with Dia de los Muertos. Um, we always celebrated it in school. Uh, but it was just so nice to see it celebrated on the big screen. And I always think about these Disney movies and these Pixar movies talk about all these different cultures, which I love. And a lot of time they do it um, like in older times and this was just great because I just felt like, yes, like finally this is getting like some recognition and some exposure and it just makes me want to like celebrate it, even though I didn't grow up with that. It's such a beautiful holiday. Um, yeah. And the movie, like visually stuff, like the colors are insane. Mm-hmm. Like the, the City of the yeah. Dead is beautiful yeah. and it feels huge. And like they, they encapsulate the mythology so well in like such a short amount of time. And no, it's like you said, like, it's really nice to see that it's getting some recognition and that they did so much to make it authentic to Mexican mm-hmm. culture. And um, just like, if you guys like this one too, I encourage you, there was a movie called The Book of Life that yeah. came out a couple years ago that got overlooked, I feel like. Yeah, um, I didn't see it, but oh I got, my re- God, it's so I got good. reminded that I was like, man, I really need to watch that. Yeah, that one's really good too. Um, I think Del Toro, like, help produce it um i mean the power of pixar always helps yeah (laughs) but it's very authentic to like that mexican culture and day of the dead's um celebrating too so it's yeah it's really really cool and we got really excited again because they are doing coco stuff at disneyland when we go because we're going around halloween time um so both california adventure and uh like normal disneyland are doing um coco like coco exhibits kind of to celebrate which is exciting. So B has a pet rabbit, guys. Her name is Winchester, um, after obviously the Winchester brothers, and she has the zoomies right now. And if you like, she can see the dogs outside. Yeah, so she loves the dogs. I just call them the zoomies because that's what they call it for dogs, and my dog gets it. Um, where they'll just start running around like crazy out of nowhere, and she's literally just she'll she's. <laughs> She's in the room with us, and she she'll sit there, and then just start jumping around like in but in one spot, yeah. and then she'll like kind of jet off in one direction and then stop, and it's adorable. So it's a little distracting, yeah, but it's super cute. cute. Yeah, she we have like a big sliding glass door in my office, and the dogs are outside perusing in the backyard, and uh, she sees them, and oh my god, gets so excited. But then you know if she gets close to him, she's terrified. Yeah. So you know. Um. I also watched Tuckerndale vs. Evil, which is not the first time I've seen it, but just rewatched it literally just Friday night. I was like, got off work, we were eating dinner, and I was like trying to look for something to watch, and it just like was there. And I was like, sure, I'll just put this on. And then, of course, I ended up watching the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So good. Um, If you haven't seen it, it's sort of a play on the redneck hillbillies that you see like at the last gas station when on your... Like, the college teens are going to their cabin for the weekend. Um, It's, like, the story from, like, their perspective. And really, it's so great. It's such a twist on the genre. If you're a genre fan, I think it's even more to love. And if you're not, it's, like, a nice, like, kind of introduction. A nice, soft, like, horror comedy. 
Yeah, Tyler Labine from lots of stuff. Reaper. Reaper. Um, and he did that show on Hulu. Yeah, what was that? Something Ghost. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called now. It was good. I liked it. I, yeah. I watched the first two seasons. And then Alan Tudyk, who was just great in everything. Yeah, from, like, so they play uh, Tucker and Dale. And they have like bought a vacation home in the woods and it's literally like the evil dead cabin basically and they go there and they keep having all these like unfortunate interactions with these college kids and they think the college kids are after them and the college kids think tucker and dale are after them and so it's a tale of miscommunication and it's super hilarious really Mm -hmm. gory um and just so much fun yeah Yeah. it reminds me it's kind of like cabin in the woods-esque uh-huh. where like you are getting this like very meta take on things yeah. um but way more comedic mm-hmm. um and you know what's funny is i actually saw it in socal when i lived down there um when they, they do like those screenings so i saw it before it was finished and there there were like scenes where there was just like um like it would like pop up and it there's like a scene with the b in it and it would like mm-hmm. pop up and it was just like a green dot because it was like oh this is where we're gonna put the cgb in but it wasn't in yet and, then, and so i saw it completely unfinished like that which was kind of weird i was like whoa what's happening like this is bizarre what is this part yeah but i loved it uh i agree with be just super fun and it's a great like like you said it, like it's something if you have friends who are like aren't super into horror movies but you like you're feeling like you want to watch a horror movie. Yeah, they, you could they will definitely totally watch enjoy this it. together because yeah. it is it puts its comedy first and it's funnier. Like I said, if you are a genre fan, because you're getting what they're like playing off of and what tropes they're kind of saying. Like, oh, when you think this is happening, we'll see it from the other side. Um, yeah, super meta. It was by Eli Craig, who I mean, the film wasn't successful. Unfortunately. Um, unfortunately. Um, it's, it's become it a cult bit, classic yeah, in the it, horror yes. world, like for sure. It was not box office successful, but the director went on to do Zombieland. Um, and then he directed Little Evil, which was a Netflix original. Zombieland series, by the way, not the Zombieland yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, Little Evil, the uh, Netflix movie with Adam Scott and Evangeline Lilly, which was also a horror comedy. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, like what this guy is kind of into and hopefully he gets to do more stuff he's very like yeah it's all meta stuff because little evil is definitely like a take omen. on like the omen <laughs> yeah <clears throat> uh, i think oh i'm almost done so i'll share my final thoughts um in the next episode but i probably have about 15 minutes left of the last time i lied so i'm at like ultimate climax of that book um by riley sager i believe this is only a second novel his first one was the final girls Mm -hmm. um which i really liked it had some flaws um i hated the end the end was okay um i didn't hate it as much as ryan did but it had a lot of fun stuff about like final girls yeah and and i wish it would have pushed those stories a little bit more Mm. focused a little bit more on like the internal horror of the survivor which is really interesting but of course for me i wanted it to play out more like a slasher yeah and it doesn't really until the end um and this one i feel like it's way more of a mystery um it's definitely not based in sort of like the slasher world at all um the author himself he's super vocal on twitter i've talked to him a few times but he said it's kind of like Friday the 13th meets um, Pretty Little Liars. Liars. Yeah. Um, and I was like, um, have you been reading my diary? 
Um, and it does have, it, it's very pretty little wires. Uh, I will say that it has like insane vibes. And then the setting feels very Friday the 13th because it's summer camp. We'll see how it all plays out. I think I know how it's going to end. Um, but we'll see. It has had some good twists. Um, but if you're a fan of like the like mysteries and untrustworthy narrators and you like the Pretty Little Liar series, definitely check it out. I mean, he's a really good writer. Yeah, I bought it. I just haven't read it yet. Yeah, <clears throat> I do find it interesting. I've been thinking his last novel was from a female perspective as well as this one. It's a female perspective again. And it feels like the last few novels I've read that are from a female perspective were written by men. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what the, like, for me, I was like, I feel like I could not write a book, like, from a man's perspective and do it, like, feel like I knew what I was talking about. Because I don't know. I've never been a guy. I'm not sure <laughs> if we think super similarly or not. But maybe we do. So, I mean, I don't super notice everything he writes. Just, I never think like, oh, this sounds like a guy is writing how a, a woman would act. So, who knows? It's just something I've been thinking about. I find it interesting when authors of one um, sex decide to write from another perspective. I've always like thought of that too because... I've thought of that for a long time because Buffy is one of my favorite series ever and Just. Joss wrote so uh-huh. much of it. I mean, he was obviously working with like Marty Knox and then Jane Espenson. Um, so I feel like Jane Espenson brought a lot to the table. But, and I mean, he went on to make Dollhouse and uh, he he's always just been so like female, fo- female focused. Mm-hmm. And it is one of those things, because like as a male watching it, I've always been like, definitely as a teen male watching it i was like oh i didn't even question i was like yeah like she's bad like buffy's just a badass and like this is how things are but like now that i'm older it's interesting to listening to people because women are like oh yeah i totally related to buffy and like mm-hmm. the problems she was going through and like willow and like these mm-hmm. characters so it's like interesting because to hear that a male can write from that perspective from an accurate like viewpoint is very interesting to me because it's like oh I don't know if I could do that because I don't like the things I went through and the things like as a male that I experienced are going to be much different from like my vantage point than from mm-hmm. like a female vantage point so I like I like you said it's just interesting to me to like think of like what kind of shoes you have to put yourself in to be like okay like what's the reaction here and like I definitely recognize that sometimes gender has nothing to do with reaction um For but sure. I, I also yeah. like recognize that there are certain things like um there's a really good podcast called Buffering Buffy and they discuss on there a lot like there's a lot of things to unpack as a female that, like, I wouldn't even think of when, yeah. like, I'm watching Buffy and it's like, oh, I never even, like, like that wasn't a big deal to me. Or, like, oh, like, I never would have made that connection. But it's, like, because of the female viewpoint. And it's also going to only be certain females, too, I feel like. You know, well, yeah, it's like you're saying. It's, it's like broad strokes. You're going to know from how to write from your experiences and your advantage. And that is just one and that's why representation in all forms of media is so important because your experience as a, you know, 29-year-old white male to this point who is, you know, straight and married and has had to grow up in a small town, blah, blah, blah. Those experiences have shaped you and your knowledge and, and how you approach things. And even me and you who similar ages, grew up in the same town, 
um, live very similar lifestyles now, have very similar interests, but I'm a woman. We, I have a different perspective than mm-hmm. you. But then you have people who grew up like in different countries and different states and big cities who, you know, are different races and they that all brings something and like a different perspective when they're writing or creating content. So I just find it so interesting. I think more so from a writing aspect, from mm-hmm. a novel, because yeah. most of the time you're going to do research for sure and you're going to have like research assistance if you're like a bigger novelist. But you're writing from you and you're going to, you know, go, yes, this is my female character and I'm going to, this is her personality. I knew maybe it's because he knew a woman like this or his. it's based off of his wife's experience or whoever or daughter or sister So you can think that way. I think I've always understood it more for like Joss or say Rob Thomas. He created my favorite TV show, Veronica Mars. Mm -hmm. Um, Veronica to me is like one of the most realistic three-dimensional television characters ever. I related to her when I watched that show for the first time when I was 12 and she was a teenager and there were still things that I could relate to. But I know that he has a team of writers with him. Mm And they're helping with those. He may have created the world, but creating the character and the way they behave and they act, I know was influenced by female writers in the writer Mm -hmm. room. And I know he... same with Joss. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think that's an advantage. Part of the reason why those shows represent female so well is because they did have female writers in the writer room, Mm -hmm. which isn't always the case. So, I don't know. It's just so interesting to think about and... I don't know. Yeah, Grady Hendrix too. I, yeah. Looking at your bookshelf, My Best Friend's Exorcism, yeah. like from the female perspective. I think and I brought that up when I first read it where I was like, because it's about young girls. Like, yeah, like like teenagers. And, and even before that, there's a whole section when they're like 10. I'm like, that's totally how I felt when I was that age. Yeah, and like I remember reading the reviews for it and like lots of females came forward and like he so perfectly encapsulates like what middle school feels like, yeah. what high school feels like. And yeah, it's just very interesting to me. Um, if you guys listen and have, I would love to read something of a female writing from a male perspective. Yeah, that'd be very interesting to me. I can't. I'm sure I have. I just don't. I can't like think of anything off the top of my mind. Um, so if you have anything, let me know because that would be. I'd be very interested to read that and like see the flip. Well, Harry Potter. Oh, that's true. J.K. Rowling. Yeah, that's true. Harry I Potter. Mean... Yeah, that's a good one. I feel like Harry's kind of, he can be a little bland sometimes, though. Yeah. He's used as a it's, conduit for an adventure. Like, yeah, Harry definitely has, like, He has a, a personality. He does, he does. But I think uh, it's more, like, loyalty. It's, like, really, I don't want to say generic, but. Oh, it's not. It's yeah. not generic. Um, like, her world building is obviously no, fantastic. But, but he has, like, very classic uh, characteristics. He is, yeah, he is Gryffindor. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like, no, exactly. He's the personification of, of Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing. Like, no. I love, uh, obviously, Harry Potter is one of the most important, like, like formative things. Of yes, my as I childhood. stare at the entire series in yeah. hard book on, in my office right yeah, now. Yeah, but if you can think of like yeah. a singular novel where, um, yeah. like a horror novel would be really interesting too. So reach out to us on Twitter. Let us know at Keep Screaming um, or at Screaming Cast. Sorry. So we're gonna dive into our movie. Uh, it is one of the. It, it's a newer movie. I think we've done a couple newer ones now. Um, mm-hmm. Like like we said, we kind of needed a break from the eighties. Uh, so we. We're choosing between this and The Final Girls, yeah. I think. And we decided to go with Stage Fright from 2014, not the 70s, like, um, 
Michelle Savari is that who did it? I didn't, no, that's an actress. You mean Aquarius? It's like Aquarius, Aquarius. stage right with the owl, you'll, the very famous like the owl, owl head, man. yeah, or Hitchcock's stage fright from the fifties. Yeah, so neither of those. Yeah. Twenty fourteen stage fright, uh, starring Meatloaf. <laughs> Yeah. Um, a snobby musical theater camp is terrorized by a bloodthirsty killer who hates musical theater. S- uh, released April 3rd, 2014. Unknown budget. Wow, only $7,000 to the yeah. box office. Probably not a big box office. No, I mean, even. it did South by Southwest. That's where it premiered. Um, and then it came out into theaters. Like and, limited theatrical. Yeah, line. and made 7000 Had no idea what the budget was. More than $7,000. It probably, like, yeah. came out in L.A. and New York. And that's yeah. it. And like, maybe, mm-hmm. like, Austin or something. Um, so, yeah, not a huge release. Um, I remember both of us watched it... Like, right when it came out. Oh, yeah. It must have been on, like, iTunes. We must have rented it on iTunes or something back in the day. Yeah, I definitely saw it, like, very yeah. soon. And it went to Netflix pretty quick. It was on Netflix for a while. Yeah. So oh, I, yeah, it's not on Netflix y- anymore. Yeah. Yeah, we rented it mm-hmm. from Amazon. Um, so it was on Netflix. If you guys have seen it already previously, I'm assuming that's probably how you guys watched it. Because um, I do remember it was on there. And they used the... Um, like sort of DVD release cover of it as opposed to the theatrical poster. It has um, a blue, but mm-hmm. we couldn't find it. We did look for it. Oh, the blue cover is kind of cool too. Yeah, so this is the, if you look at like the Blu-ray cover, I believe that's a cover that they used um, when it was on Netflix. So it makes it look, it's similar to the illustrated poster that they used theatrically like for the release and promotion. Um, but the Blu-ray one definitely makes it look like a modern more glossy um film. also the blu-ray like font is like fright night uh-huh it Weird. is yeah it's emulating fright night for no reason that's changes the, the font too. yeah because the director like you have in the trivia notes they very actively chose to go with yeah as soon as it comes on and i if you um if you look up this font it's called albertus um it's john carpenter made it famous for basically using it in every single film um it's what he typesets everything in um and if you like look it up and you look at um some of the john carpenter title credits you'll start recognizing it and so whenever it comes on we've done a couple movies that have used it so far um i'll be like oh yeah that's a albertus that they use and it's funny because it was a um intentional and i love i never get this trivia but it was intentionally used by the actual director um, and the, even the hue of red they used is a salt on precinct thirteen. Yep. Um, so I love that that was a deliberate decision by the directors, as opposed to, um, I mean, it's a smart decision to use the font if you're trying to project something horror because it looks like horror without you knowing it. Yeah. And it's because subconsciously you've seen it. You're relating um, it to Carpenter. You're relating it to Carpenter, and so. It's a great trick for designers to be like, well, this font is recognizable um, without having to be like, look eroded or bloody or gory. You can use a very um, well-designed and created font and still have notes of horror. So I think that's always like, as a horror fan, it's one of my, like, I'm not a fan of stuff like that. Like, I'm a huge fan of horror, but, like, things that, like, look bloody. And, like, I'm, like, ugh. Like, like when you look up horror fonts and you look at them, and I'm, like, oh, I don't want to use any of these. Like, they yeah. always look, like, like bloody or, like, like like bumpy. Or mm-hmm. I, I'm, like, I don't know what this is. And and even, like, a lot of horror websites, it's, like, all black and red and, like, uses all this horror. Like, 
my so my website gaslight grinning like i chose to not do that because i was like no i don't want to be like all black and like it's very it's more supposed to look like just like print like a magazine almost because i wanted to stay away from that so that's yeah i like I like the Albertus font a lot because, like you said, it's it's not that, but it is still classically mm-hmm. horror. Um, didn't get great reviews. 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, con- there was a consensus that read, there might be a good movie to be made for mashing up the slasher musical genres. Unfortunately, Stage Fright isn't quite it. I like the quote they pulled for the Blu-ray. Um, you want to go back to it? Yeah. I, I read that and I was like, yeah, I like that. Um so they used it on the cover, and I think it was smart. So it says, um, A cross between Glee and Sleepaway Camp, stage fright is creepy and frequently quite gory, yep. which I think is a great quick little tab for what it is. Yeah. Um, it's really playing, and funny enough, Ryan and I both did theater. <laughs> um, we were like nerdy little theater kids. Yep. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get to do it together because at that point in our life our age gap was too significant yeah he's too old but uh we both went to theater camp i used to do it every summer and then also there was a one every fall you get together you go for like five hours um it's like going to school basically during the summer um and at the end of it you put together a show um it's dancing singing and acting um super fun but it's Really, I think even more interesting to watch this film knowing we didn't go away to a location. It was like in our town. Yeah. And we would just drive to like where the... It's at the it was at the local junior college. Yeah. And so it kind of felt like you were like off in camp and you felt like you were really cool. Um, oh, definitely. Because oh, yeah. like you went to like different classrooms yeah. and like you do some of your stuff outside. Yeah. And... But we weren't like in a camp setting. We were at college, like a college, yeah. a local community college campus. But... It's funny to watch this and like see the the tropes they're playing with um, with theater and having experienced that it makes it even more fun because it's like oh yeah it's so true. No, I think theater yeah. like theater kids for sure will get a deeper appreciation yeah. of this movie. Um, yeah, it so much of it I was like oh this it, uh, the thing in our small town it was called Space which is mm-hmm. School of Performing Arts and Cultural Education and um, so Space Camp was during the summer. And which, like B was saying, it's like five hours a day. And then, like, when the show gets closer, you're, like, doing longer days. And, like, you're there until the evening sometimes. Yeah. And then your shows are at night. And you're, like, hanging out in the green room with all these people. And it's very much like this movie. Like, you have your cliques. And you uh-huh. have your popular kids. And oh, you yeah. have, like, it, totally everything, like, that they are joking around with in this movie 100% applies. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, very, very true. Yeah, and you have your people. It's like every summer true. Like for me, I like the acting was my thing. That's what I was into. And I took um, singing as well. So acting and singing was what I was better at. It was the dancing that like I always had to work on every summer. And so there's like a part in one of the opening songs where they're like, oh, this is what I'm going to work on this summer. And it's like that was always me with like the dance class. So if like I got awarded like a dance number, it was like a big deal. And I think my last play, they gave me like a dance number. And I was like, oh, God, so nerve wracking because normally I'm uh, just like the actor. Definitely and never had a dance dancing. number. You know what, though? And like this one day I'll pull out the tapes because we have VHS tapes of them. I had a singing solo, yeah. which to people who know me, 
it's a surprise because yeah. I don't have a great singing voice. But I definitely um, sing. Yeah, but uh, with training. Like, yeah. you can, like, same with me. It's not like I'm going to go out, but, like, I can carry a tune. And I took, like, singing lessons. And I can sing, like, in a chorus, but I am definitely not a soloist. Um, yeah, so I definitely sang Free Fallen. I had a solo for Free nice. Fallen. Which yeah. production was that? Uh, I remember. Yeah, Rami and Michelle's Cosmic oh, Reunion. Yeah, where I, I missed played, that one. Where I played Hamlet. Nice. Yeah, and I had to learn I Am Big Pentameter and Wear Tights, which is super fun. Yeah, Fame was the one where I had like a lead in. That was the... I never had a lead. That was my big year. I was not a lead person. Played the Mock Turtle, Alice and Alex in Wonderland, um, which I love too. The poster, the the actual poster is super cool. I love it. It's yeah. very, like, <clears throat> 80s inspired. It is. So when I first looked at it, I was like, okay, it's 100% 80s horror film inspired. It's illustrated. Um, but there was something else about it that I was trying to place. Um, and it's like the 50s musical style. Yeah, of the so stage, it has, right? like, um, musical, like, Broadway lights at the bottom. And instead of having the type and all the information integrated with the poster, it, like, throws it at the bottom, which tended to be more of a popular design style um, when posters were screen printed. Um, even if you look at old, like, music concerts for people like Johnny Cash and Elvis and... Uh, you'll see that it's like basic one color screen print posters and the type isn't really integrated with the design. It's just there for information. I was trying to like figure it out and I was doing some research and I think just in general, uh, having the illustration at the top, which is super 80s horror inspired, Mm -hmm. and then on the bottom... They have the like Broadway stage lights and then stage fright typeset in Albertus and the rest of the information. Um, I think they're just trying to emulate um, almost like a playbill or oh yeah more uh, smaller uh, theater productions where this is what it would look like. They they weren't going to have uh, trained graphic designers necessarily working out. They might have somebody who just knows how to place this and this. Um, and it also just gives it a kind of name and lights by having the stage fright with the Broadway lights and having the rest of information. Um, I really like it. I think it's done like really effectively. And then when you get to the top, um, they have the tagline, sing your heart out, which I love. Yep. Um, no, and I love, so you can see it's a side. Um, yeah, it's a profile yeah, of. Of our main character. Uh, who's Camilla? Name? Yes. Uh, yeah, of Camilla, yeah. who played by Ally McDonald, and then the killer's gloved hand, which is holding a knife, but holding up the rock, like, you know, when you like do metal. The, the metal like. rock symbol with your hands, yeah. um, like the devil horns, he's holding it while doing that, and then the reflection in the blade is of the kids during a singing number yeah. in the movie. And you can see, like, camp office in the background, and so everything, like the way this is set up, you have like the curtains in the back. She's like obviously singing um, with the light shining really bright on her face, which gives the illusion that she's on the stage. It's great too because she's singing, but it looks like she's scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not until you mention it just now, it super looks like a playbill, which mm-hmm. I love. Yeah. 
Um, it's really, really smart, I think. Yeah, and then everything, like the lighting and then the wood grain at the bottom, the lines lead you into the title as well as the knife did. I mentioned that last time. So it's good composition. Um, so typically the trick is always like we would play with critique is you put your design on the wall and then everybody says what they see first. And that's going to be what we call your number one hierarchy. So here, I think when you look at this poster, you're immediately drawn to Sing Your Heart Out, um, which is in the top right-hand corner. Um, it's in white. It's the brightest thing on the poster besides the bottom. Um, and then you have the glove with the metal fingers that brings you down to the bottom left, which allows you to see the whole rest of the the art and that as you're coming down to the bottom you're led straight to read in the proper orientation which is left to right and that's when you hit stage fright and all the rest of the information so from a design standpoint it's put together the composition very well it's beautifully illustrated mm-hmm. um this is kind of i mean probably one of the best posters that we've seen yep and even the blu-ray cover which we mentioned does a modern take of it it's trying to play less homage to older horror films and maybe less homage to theater itself um and makes it look like the glossy film it is which i think is super smart if you put this on netflix um and you're trying to attract a younger audience uh this might not be the poster this is a poster for horror fans uh the blu-ray poster it still has uh, camilla at the forefront but she's staring down you've got the knife but then you can see our metal killer in it the um killer. Yes. Uh, it uses a lot brighter colors. It uses yellow and red and blue. It's got that great um, quote pull out um, about comparing it with Glee and Sleepaway Camp. A blood so, splatter on it. Yeah, yeah, blood splatter on it. So I think I don't love that they turned, they changed the, well, they like. The, they changed the font. They changed the font. It's so um, it's it's supposed to look like it looks like Fright Night. The yeah. fight in it literally has the same eye that is like a stick. It's still Albertus, but they altered it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also like made the eye a stake, and maybe they were trying to make it a knife. That's the only thing that doesn't work on the Blu-ray cover. Um, but I think that was super smart and a really good decision by whoever did it, the production team, the art department who decided like, hey, if we're going to market this and people are going to blind buy it, this is probably the poster to go to. Um, For like our our audience, this, you know, illustrated theatrical poster is the way to go. So super great. I loved it. Um, Gets me all excited. (laughs) There were no sequels. I don't think it really sets you up for a sequel. No, it doesn't. And... Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about that, but it has, like, a true ending of a slasher film. Oh, yeah. This, watching this now after doing the show, I was like, holy shit, this is a slasher movie. Like, so true and true. Maybe more true and true than almost anything we've watched. And it's, oh, and it pays homage to so many slashers, oh, too. It's um, Including the end. Jerome yeah. Sable, who is also the director, did the score. He did a short that I just showed you right before we started called The Legend of Beaver Dam. And you can tell that he is just a very musically inclined person. Yeah. Um, Probably a theater geek himself. <laughs> I, I mean, you have, have to, to assume yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, this is his full length of view. He hasn't done anything since. He's also the director. I love the score in this movie. Um, I mean, it's obviously a musical. If you guys haven't caught it, like picked up on that yet it is a horror movie musical which i was as i was watching i was like we need more of these um because i i loved it 
Um, I, I mean, I like most horror movie musicals I've seen. I really, I really enjoy Repo, the genetic opera. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of like the follow-ups to that. What were they called? Devil Circus and something else. I well, think I did not even know those existed. Um, yeah. So I, but I really like Repo, the genetic opera. Um, I'm a huge fan of that one, and I think are there there are more. I just can't like. I don't. There's not a whole lot of horror musicals. I well, feel, you can even think I mean, of like think Sweeney of like, Todd. And oh yeah, Sweeney I, Todd, yeah. Phantom of the Opera, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Um, but when it yeah it comes to like more slasher stuff, this yeah, like, we, Sweeney Todd is pretty slasher. Yeah, that's slasher-ish. true. Um, but like this is like it feels so much like a horror movie that is also a musical, not a musical that is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like. Like, those movies, I feel like they're horror influence, but they're musicals at heart. And this is very, like, I feel integrates both very well. Um, so, yeah, he did Legend of Beaver Dam, which you can find online. I highly suggest watching it. It's super fun. It's only five minutes. Um, and then the B is for Vacation segment on ABCs of Death 2, which I know I've seen, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. God, I know. I now... I have to go back to all of those. Like, I saw VHS, and I'm not a huge fan of... Um, why can't I think of the word? Found footage? No, when they put like all the different segments together. Oh, anthologies? Yes. Oh, I love anthologies. I know you do. Um, I'm not a huge fan of anthologies. Except like is one of her favorite movies. Yeah, but it's not really an anthology. Mm -hmm. That's an anthology movie. It's just not broken into segments. It's it's the reason why it's one of the best is because Michael Doherty does this thing where he's like, I'm not going to break these into anthologies. It is an anthology, but he weaves them together yes. so they're one big story. So it's exactly, I know, I understand what you mean. So I like it when it has a like overarching story. Otherwise, I'd rather just watch the shorts separately. Yeah, but anywho, it's fine. I do need to revisit them. Um, the ABCs of Death are, I mean, it's twenty six shorts, which is a lot, and like some of them are disgusting. Just as a horror fan, no, I know. I always get to one me. point yeah. where I like get to one I don't like, and then I'm like, well. I'm done. There's some stuff in there that is just like too much that is not my brand of horror. Yeah. Um, Which is fine. But then yeah. you put them all together like I that. just wish like they, they made the movie and I could, I, I just need to buy a blue, I guess, so I can literally just skip the segment. Yeah. That'd be the easiest way to do it. Anywho, uh, I'm just, now that I know more of these, like paying attention to more of these directors than I maybe yeah. previously was when these first started coming out. I want to go back and make sure I watch like those particular the VHS ones. The VHS ones in particular have a lot of people you and I both really enjoy. Yeah. I think like Ty Ty West has done like one of the. I, I liked Holidays. Yeah, Holidays was interesting. Kevin Smith's piece was not as good as I wanted it to be. <laughs> I actually loved the St. Patrick's Day one. Um, I liked the Easter one. Dude, that one's so fucked up. I loved it. I loved it. It's so good. Uh, So he also wrote the movie with Eli Battalion. Um, It seems like he's his uh, just sort of partner. Yeah. They probably write. I mean, I can only imagine composing and writing these like musical numbers. I noticed that he was also his partner for Legend of Beaver Dam Mm -hmm. 2. So it seems like they probably work well in that sense. Um, yeah, and so like I said too, with the score, he wrote all. So he wrote all the songs too, which are are great. What's wrong? My ears are ringing. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Um, Don't mind me. So he wrote all the songs too, which is great because um, it it dances back and forth between like the because the play they're mimicking is Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. So. Um, but they, what do they call it in this? It's I, I'm looking the, up. Phantom yeah. of the Theater, I think. Something like that. Um, but they. 
they mimic that so there's like a lot of operatic stuff but also there's a lot the of the haunting of the opera the haunting of the opera <laughs> basically um, the same title but there's also a lot of stuff that feels like musical like classical musical numbers and then there's a lot of stuff that's like metal like glam rock yeah um so because the, our killer is literally called metal killer yeah metal killer and it's super like glam rocky and i fucking it's love so it good. Uh, Minnie Driver shows up at the very beginning as Kylie Swanson, who's the mother of our main character, uh, Camilla, and also her brother, uh, Buddy. And uh, I hate that name, Buddy. I like that name. Uh, That's I, a dog's name. Shush. I grew up in the Airbud generation, okay? That's a dog's name. Uh, sorry to anybody who has children named Buddy or is named Buddy, Ryan. Yeah, I'm sorry, buddies. Oh, um, <laughs> Minnie Driver. Uh- <laughs> Mini driver, yeah, so she pops up in the beginning as... But do you know why it's so cool? Why? Because she's in Phantom of the Opera, so it's just such a cool cameo. Oh, I didn't know she's what? in? Yes. Which one? In the the like famous the... one with Emmy Rossum from 2004. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, she plays... Um... I hate that movie. Okay. I don't... Okay, I don't hate that movie. I don't... You're Gerard full. Butler You're does full. not... Well, Gerard, Gerard Butler's the not worst. Good. Yeah. I, Always. I wanted, like... I love Phantom of the Opera. Like, the original and the, the Claude Rains and Lon Chaney one are two of my favorite, like, universal movies. But Gerard Butler should not have been the Phantom in that movie. I mean, Gerard Butler shouldn't be they, in any movies. They should remake Phantom of the Opera with an actual story. But that movie's really good. That movie is good. It's vi- just it's ignore very, Gerard Butler. It's very, like, cinematic. Yeah. Um, it felt very in line with sort of, like, uh, how they're doing a lot of, like, Romeo and Juliet. And so they're picking, like, a super visual, big mm-hmm. style. And especially at that time, like, 2004. I don't know. Uh, Carlotta. She plays Carlotta. Okay, got it. Um, so, big role. I mean, she's literally like, um, Emmy Rossum's character is like the younger going to replace her. And that's right. the whole, the Phantom's all trying to do is like get her to be the bigger one. So, super fun cameo if you aren't like Ryan and like Phantom of the Opera. Uh, yeah, sorry. From 2004. Yes. Meatloaf is also like one of the main characters in it. He basically, play, he plays like the- Ryan, ad- who's Meatloaf? Who's Meatloaf? You guys don't know who Meatloaf is? Uh, Meatloaf is a singer from the 80s who released in... Bad Out of Hell. Yeah, Bad Out of Hell, um, and then Bad Out of Hell 2. There's also a Bad Out of Hell 3, but it's not as good as the first two. Um, but Meatloaf is one of my favorite musicians from that era because... He is one of the top-selling musicians of all time, Yeah, in fact. I mean, if you got you if you if don't know who Meatloaf is, you've definitely heard his music. Yeah. He, he's, I mean, Bad Out of Hell was a very big song, but... Um, the biggest one is I'll Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That uh, is probably mm-hmm. his biggest hit. And then he also um, stars as Eddie in the original Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, he stars as, his name was, oh crap, from Fight Club. His name was whatever, whatever. His name was Robert Morris. I can't remember now. It's been so long since I've seen Fight Club. I haven't seen Fight Club. Been so his name long. was Robert Paulson. Um, that's like the line because he dies during one of the like Project Mayhem things. And spoiler. Uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry Jeez. for a fucking tw- almost 20-year-old spoiler at this point. Damn, that's 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but he dies during one of the Project Mayhem projects and like the, that becomes like their thing is like his name was Robert Paulson anytime anyone dies. So um, yeah, he had a big part in that. Um but yeah, Meatloaf was huge, huge in the eighties because mm-hmm. he had a voice that was very operatic. And um, not like and then you see him, like you hear his songs, and it is true. He was definitely one of those artists until I started working like in the record store industry. It was definitely like there's a lot of artists where 
I'd sell the CDs all the time and be like, I don't even know what this person sounds like. And then, of course, you look them up and I'm like, oh, I know this song. And then I'd be like, wait, holy shit, that's this person? I think Meatloaf is a true example of like, you hear his music and then you look up a picture of him and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, he, like, it's, he's... Like, how is that voice coming out of him? Yeah, he's, uh, look up his pictures, especially from the 80s. He had like hair down to his butt <laughs> and he's like, he's like kind of a bigger dude. And he just does not look anything like any any of the 80s like rock stars yeah. at that time um it's so good he i love him though he looks his like music, a magician yeah his, his music is great and he was very like he became very well known for his music because it was very different like there's no true choruses there's no like br- like his songs are like 11 minutes long and there will be like a five minute bridge and then a a solo of like just motorcycle engines and a lot of that goes to jim steinman who is his composer who he had um Mm -hmm. it even says on his album songs by jim steinman because bad of hell and bad of hell 2 were both composed by him he's a legit actual composer um which is why those albums sound more like rock operas than actual albums which i also think is why he was picked up for this movie because he has that kind of style i wish he had sang more in this actually yeah um, i think it's uh, yeah i love the character he plays he plays like roger mccall who is um mini driver's like manager and he's also the person like producing the summer camp th- the summer camp and then the a play so like the big plot point of this is that he was producing this um opera that Mini Driver was starring in. And it was about to go big. It was he was about to like like make it to like Broadway. Like yeah. big deal. And she was killed um opening night and his career ended. Now he's like doing this summer camp and like not paying any bills, can't make ends meet, and decides to do the play again. What is it? Ten? Is ten years. It's just years. ten. It's ten yeah, years. ten years. Because the kids ten, go from yeah. eight to eighteen. Yeah, so ten years later, he's gonna redo the play, and he's like hoping that this is gonna be his big break to make it into Broadway again. So he plays like your typical like like asshole kind of controlling. Yeah. Um. He's obviously been like a father character to. Yeah, because he was dating like he, you can see he is dating Minnie Driver's character in the beginning and he's also her producer so they're both about to break through yeah. like he's created the show she's the star of the show yeah. they're both about to break through and then she's murdered and it stalls everything mm-hmm. out and so the kids are just living at the summer camp now they're cooks working and there. like janitors yeah. pretty much um ally mcdonald uh as camilla she was in the house at the end of the street and the barons um which was a, I actually saw that movie. A Stephen, oh. Stephen I was Moyer. like, I think maybe. Yeah, Stephen Moyer movie about the Jersey Devil. I actually, I, I liked it. Um, I like creature features like that. Yeah. She hasn't been in much. Those were just the two like genre-related things. She's in a musical that I now want to see, a Canadian musical, so just like this is, uh, right up my alley, um, about hockey. Interesting. Um, that apparently Nelly Furtado is also in. Awesome. So I'm going to watch that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I love me a good hockey musical. Uh, Douglas Smith as Buddy Swanson, okay. her brother. I definitely recognize him. I know. I have to look it up again. Um, he's been in, like, a ton of stuff, but it's, like, nothing I could, like, super place. So, recently oh, he's in he the was Bye in the Bye Bye, Bye, Bye Man. Man. Yeah, which I definitely watched. So, I guess he's most famous for being uh, Ben Henriksen in HBO's Big Love. Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Yeah, but there's something, he's in something stupid, and I was like, oh. But he's in quite a few genre stuff. He was in Ouija, 
Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he's in Percy Jackson. Yes. So I'm pretty sure that's what I recognize him from is Percy Jackson. Um, he's just in a lot. Yeah. Um, he's, just in a- he's really in like a ton of stuff. So I'm sure he's he's just one of those faces that you see and you're like, I've seen him Yeah, definitely. Like as soon as I saw him, I was like, yeah. I know him for something. But I mean, he already... What is he? Like, yeah, he's 30 and he's got like a ton of credits and just random stuff. So just one of those faces. I mean, he's a cute guy. Uh, Kent Nolan as Joel Hopton. Joel was which one? He was the like... Um, was he the like kind of like the one who's interested in Camilla? No, Because I was... know Artie is the director, like the douchey director. Oh, yeah. So he must be the one who was like... Yeah, he's interested her. in Camilla. Yeah. He, so he's like the stagehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ephraim Ellis as Sam Brownstein. Is that Rick from Degrassi? Or? No, that's no. the the theater, the Broadway guy. Oh, yeah. Sam Brownstein. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, also, if you're a Degrassi fan, Rick, Rick. who shot Jimmy. Um, <laughs> and was an abusive Drake, boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, is in this as well. Um, I know, I always feel so bad for him because he was in this show like shortly after Degrassi that was like on ABC Family about this like they, like, lived by a beach or something. I don't know. I used to watch all those shows. Um, and it was just really hard not to think of him as oh, Rick. Oh, you'll always think of him. Every yeah. time I see him, I think It's like, oh, it's Rick. Rick. Yeah. Uh, just because that was such, like, as Degrassi fans, he was such a volatile. Besides shooting yeah. Jimmy, no, he, he was, was literally an abusive yeah. boyfriend. He, like, he, he um, put his girlfriend into a coma. Yeah. And then she disappeared off the show forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> But anyhow. And then she came back in Drake's music video. That's a reunion. Uh, it is a musical slasher. Uh, so musical horror movie, but definitely a musical slasher. I'd say the old, the closest thing looking it up is Sweeney mm-hmm. Todd would be the closest. Um, iconic weapon is theater-related kills. He definitely uses a machete a lot. Is it? That no, he, he that uses he's sw- a knife. What is he, oh, oh, it's a big knife. Yeah, that he's yeah. swinging around. So he uses a knife and then... Yeah, pretty much like a knife is used the most, which is on the cover besides the other kills. Yeah, but there's a lot of like cool theater related stuff. Like, like um, my person, like one of the coolest parts to me, um, they use the a ghost light as one of the kills. Which, mm-hmm. if you guys don't know what a ghost light is, it's like the light you leave on stage, and it's like a superstitious, like theatrical thing. Um, but he uses that, which I thought was like super cool. Again, like so much theater nerd stuff in this. Yeah. Jerome Sable is definitely a theater nerd. Um, so the killer is awesome, by the way. So they decide, basically what happens is the the haunting of the opera is stalled and then the kids are at the summer camp and 10 years later, it's like, it's Meatloaf's character, Roger. It's his last chance. So he's putting on the haunting of the opera again and the director is like, you know, one of these, like, like experimental, you know, going to do a fresh, fresh concept. So he decides to place the play in feudal japan so it's kabuki yeah and Um, if you don't know what kabuki is it's like um a theater style in japan it's like dance theater um so i think it's like officially yeah it's called a dance drama Mm -hmm. um so it's classical um theater and if you learned about it in my dance history class um very elaborate makeup is worn um, and so that's what the killer ends up wearing in this one instead of like mask, yeah. a phantom mask. It's like a, a mix on that. And it's a kabuki mask. And this whole plot point 
is hilarious. Yes. Because it is so, like, they make a joke about how they did, like, this reinterpretation of the vagina monologues. And, like, it's like a passing thing. And they're like, yeah, this year we're going to do this. And it's so, I mean, they really are just playing into those like theater it happens all the time with like revivals it's like we're gonna do this but now yeah i i don't know how many times i've seen but now post-apocalypse i'm like oh my god i went i went to a romeo and juliet that took place post-apocalypse yeah so it happens so often well and especially when you're doing like productions of plays that have been done thousands of times like phantom of the opera or romeo and juliet it's like well how are we gonna get somebody to come see this play that they've seen one million times how are we gonna make it big and they're like yeah feudal japan kabuki let's do it it's a bunch of freaking nerdy white kids doing it yep which is hilarious yeah it's super funny it's very tongue-in-cheek it's winking at the audience like a hundred percent knows what it's doing um in no way is the movie trying to be like serious and be like oh yeah this is this is uh this is for the film like no yeah um you know it's funny sometimes it really works though i was just thinking like um lots of uh lerman's romeo plus juliet Mm -hmm. i think is fantastic like like modernizing it and putting it in like what was it venice uh, like venice beach right yeah yeah so good yeah down in la but then they he kept the yeah he uh, kept the original script and the iambic pentameter so good um but yeah it's just like super funny tongue-in-cheek it makes for a cool ass killer he's so so cool looking he's got this kabuki mask he wears like so he's wearing the robes too like the traditional robes um he's just really like i love his mask it's got like the kabuki style paint but it's like kind of dripping from everywhere so it kind of looks like it just like it looks like it was freshly painted and then like dripped down and that's like how the mask is um very exaggerated like eyebrows and mouth um and eyes and the eyes are really dark and so you like can't see who's behind it It has this crazy ass hair Mm -hmm. i just loved everything about the style of the killer yeah and I love it, too, because you get, you know he's there, like, from the beginning. He's, like, in a basement. He's got, like, pictures of all the campers. Yeah, and, and he's he starts, very fan of the opera. Yeah. Like, and living in the theater. Yeah. yeah. And he will, like, sing little things. Oh, like, my God. Oh, and it's so metal. It's so, like, I love the play with doing this, like, traditional musical theater, like, numbers, which are not, you would never associate that with metal. Mm-hmm. Any type of metal. Mm-hmm. Not hardcore at all. Um, and then you have this like contrast with this killer with like these like high pitched rearing guitars and he's like super like screaming like these one liners and I'm just like fuck this is so cool. It's great because Camilla like every time she shows up she emulates her mother so it's it's opera like she's yeah. singing I mean it's family of the opera so she's singing opera like that's the way she sounds and then the kids when the kids show up in numbers it's very like musical theater numbers mm-hmm. like it 100% sounds like and feels like those musicals from like the 50s and 60s um, and then um, the killer himself is like you said, very like glam rock metal, mm-hmm. and so he's he's just like wailing. Um, and like she said, the, like the first time you see him, he's in the theater. He has pictures of all of them, and he's just cutting the wall, which is super cool. They use like like sparks are flying everywhere from like the metal blade on the wall, and he just thinks, "Shut your fucking face!" Yeah. Or yeah, shut your fucking face. And like there's like she said, it's just one liners like that. And the whole movie, he's singing, like, one-liners that relate to theater. Yes. And it's so funny because it's just, like, like, um, like things like, let me give you a warm-up. 
um, mm-hmm. as he's killing them from like a hot shower and like things like that. It's it's just fantastic. Uh, we find out the killer is um, Buddy Swanson, the brother. So uh, the plot, once you find out, the plot makes sense. So at the beginning of the movie, um, you basically find out that Kylie Swanson is cheating on Roger. Um, and she is hooking up with whoever's playing the Phantom in the play. Um, and she's in the dressing room and they're about to go to the, um, what is it called? Like, basically, it was their opening night, so they're going to the party. Mm-hmm. And she's murdered. She's stabbed. In, it's very graphic. Like, she's stabbed in the throat brutally several times. It's like, the kill happened, and it's been, I mean, I probably haven't seen this movie since it came out. Uh, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, no, we watched it with a group of people, and, like, everyone was like, oh, man, yeah. like, that was brutal. It's And it's the it's the first kill of the film, too. So it, like, really... Yeah, he stabs like, her you. straight in the throat, and yeah. it shows it. And, like, there's so blood much all blood. over him. Yeah. Um, and, and it happens in her green room. And basically, we find out that, oh, yeah, he ends the kill by literally stabbing her in the mouth with his yeah. knife. Um, and we find, we find out that Buddy was in the room when this happened. Um, and he knows that... So we kind of have two killers, because... Buddy was in the room when this happens, and the killer revealed that it's Roger. Um, Roger found out that Kylie was cheating on him and killed her. And this whole time, Buddy has known that Roger murdered his mom. And so he's been living with him and working with him and sort of had him as a father figure and living in fear of him. Yes. And, I mean, he's just now turning 18, and his entire life for the last 10 years— he has been so terrified to do anything, leave him. And there's Buddy gets very frustrated because his sister is decides once she wants to play her mom's role. Mm-hmm. She feels like she needs to do it. And he's like, no, like you want to be with like these music theater freaks? Like, don't. Like, we're going to get out of here. We're going to get out of here. And he's just so motivated to get out of the camp. And at first, you just think, like, oh, this just isn't for him. Like, he just doesn't have that acting, singing right. bug. And he just hates the theater, and he just wants to leave, doesn't be working, like, as a cook. And you just think that, and you kind of like, oh, well, like, the brother's, like, kind of sucks, but, like, doesn't understand why his sister wants, like, feels like she should play the role that her mother had, not some other girl. So what I like about this is, like, all the characters' decisions make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You're never wondering, like, well, okay, like, they shoehorn that in or whatever. It's like, no. It all, like, all the development really plays out. It's very smartly written in that way. And so when she decides to take on the role and she's having, like, her own issues, she's sort of trying to use her looks and flirt to, she's, like, fighting with another character to get the lead. They they both have the lead, but one gets to do an opening night and the right. other one doesn't. And, and that's s- when the Broadway yes. uh, talent agent it's is coming going to be there. opening night. Um, and so... The whole like middle part of the film where we're starting to see like these kills happen, it's like her and this other girl like fighting for this role and singing and trying to do all this stuff while Buddy's sort of in the background like, hey, you missed your shift. Hey, you missed that. And then when it comes down and you realize, oh, that's why he wanted to get out. So when he's revealed as the metal killer mm-hmm. and it's like the big climax when they're in the kitchen and it's him and his sister and Roger... And he's saying, I was there, like, you killed our mom. And um, Camilla is realizing that he's the one who did it. And she's, like, super upset. 
you're like, holy fuck. Like, you're not surprised that it's Buddy because... No, you're not. They they make some red herrings. They try and make you think it's going to be a couple people. There's, there's the like janitor. The, there's the, like groundskeeper, janitor. There's also the, um, the Joel, Joel yeah, guy the Joel who's Kicker. kind of like obsessed with Camilla, like really likes her and is upset that she's like kind of hooking up with Joel, trying what she's only doing to try and get the role. Um, hooking up with Artie. Or Artie, yeah. Yeah. Who's a total doucher. Yeah. And so there's like all these plans. So they give you a couple people like, well, it could be them or it could be them. And then when it's Buddy, you're like, all right, like that makes sense. But Mm -hmm. then when you find out that he's doing it as revenge because he just got sent over the edge after Roger decided to bring this play back. And like he, when she takes the mask off, you can tell like it's, he's been like suppressing it yeah because he almost comes out of like this daze when the mask comes off of like oh like i didn't even realize i was doing it like he's i i think he does like they do a good job of painting it as like it consumes him and like Mm -hmm. that's why it happens um so like I, i i definitely feel like you feel that a lot um when she finally does take his mask off and it's cool too because like we have two killers realistically Mm -hmm. i mean roger does kill the um um kylie but we don't just have two killers. We have two villains. Because yeah. Roger is a super, like, he, we we kind of have three because Artie's the worst. But, yeah. but Roger is a villain, too. Like, he straight up is taking these people's money. He's in it for himself. He's incredibly selfish. He's using these kids. And he, like, by the end of the movie, when you get to this point where it's, like, this standoff, like, you want the killer to kill yeah. Roger. Um, and I think, like a lot of slasher movies do that we love... There's a lot of characters in this that you want to... We want Artie to die. We want yeah. Roger to die. Like, you want... By the time it happens, you're like, yeah, I get that our killer is the bad guy, but there are certain characters that we want... Like, when they kill, you cheer a little because you're like, oh, good. They, like, they got oh, their yeah. comeuppance. When Artie... So Artie's the first one to die on... Outside of Kylie. Outside yeah. of Kylie. From Buddy. And we're just like... So we're like, yeah, finally, like... We're ready to see this guy die. Yeah, they do a good job because there's... So we get that brutal slaying in the beginning. And then it's probably a solid like 40, 30, 40 minutes before we get to our next kill. Because they do... They they set up the world. And like Mm -hmm. they set up the backstory. And we get this theater camp. We're introduced to a few major players and like understand what's happening. slasher. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, Artie is basically... I mean, he's sexually abusing these women like he's using his power to try to get Mm -hmm. sex out of them um and he's playing with camilla like toying with her and like she almost almost gives in to sleeping with him for the role and then she just she you know stands up for herself and she's like this is disgusting i'm not going to do this and so he's like all right like guess it's going to go to this other girl and so we've been seeing this now for a while and so like already messing with her and like he'll like, she'll make out with him, and he gives it to her, but then the other girl will, like, do more with him, so he gives it to her, and, like, you know, basically, she has to make the decision, like, if I don't sleep with him, I'm not gonna get it, and she decides not to, so it's just already in the theater when we finally get this first kill, which is great. The killer starts dropping all of the lamps um, from the overhead, like, down onto, to almost onto him, um, and then he steps, on, right, he steps on one of the lamps, yeah oh no the lamp falls through his foot this part was great too it falls through his foot so he's literally stuck to the stage the killer comes out and shoves him so his foot rips in half oh, it was very so very graphic and brutal graphic. um yeah so oh yeah it's like it's the like grip hook yeah. yeah comes through his foot so he's literally stuck to oh. the stage the killer comes and pushes him and it li- literally rips his foot off like not his whole foot but like in half 
the killer shows up and it's great he has like these two buzz saws they're like but they're handheld buzz saws which it's is like rips through the theater oh i love it he shows yeah. up as a silhouette rips through the stage through the curtain um the backdrop and shoves Artie over and then he puts the the ghost light in Artie's mouth and like shoves the it's so great the bulb doesn't break he shoves the whole bulb in his fucking mouth nerd explained it because we're like well just so you guys know it's not like a regular light like yeah like this you is, just need to know that those lights burn extra extra hot. Yeah, this is a theater sta- light. It's a theater light. Yeah, so it's, a stage it's not light. a regular light. It's a theater light. So it burns them from the inside yeah. out. Um, which is our first death, and then again plays into Roger being a total asshole, bad guy because he knows he has died. The whole theater knows that he has yeah. died. That already they is find dead. him. They fi- yeah they find him, and then they decide to go on with the play anyways because yeah. they still need to finish opening and night. He doesn't call the cops. Nope. Um. So we get to we get to opening night where Camilla is going to be playing the main character, um, and so it kind of goes like I said, it does a lot of build up, and then once opening night happens, like shit kind of hits the fan. The next kill is so the killer is just like kind of stalking backstage, and the next kill is um, off screen, but uh, it's great because we get her name's Whitney, and she's like the she's not doing the makeup yeah the costume design yeah costume design and and makeup and so it's great because earlier in the movie you see her using one of the like model heads what it has all like you know the pins in it because she's like designing the mask which is a reference to To, hellraiser yeah definitely a reference to penhead um also there's a part earlier where one of the guys who's crafting the stage stuff is like wearing a leather face outfit and he's using he's like waving a sander around like it's a chainsaw yeah it's it's like instantly you're like oh that's a leather face reference yeah it's like it's, he's it's, just wearing an apron it's like really subtle he's yeah. just wearing an apron but it's like the brown color yeah. apron yeah. and then um he like yeah picks this up and like sort of does the movement like leather face um yeah it's there's lots of like subtle nods to that uh horror in this like it's great because you get your theater nods, you get your horror nods. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Whitney is murdered off sure. off screen, and it's great because uh, they find her, and she just like her head that sculpt that she was using. He has used a nail gun to puncture her all over her face, so she mm-hmm. just has nails all over her head. Um, and then the next kill is Sam, who um, is Rick from Degrassi, who is playing like the male. He's playing the Phantom in the yeah. in the actual haunting. Uh, play and it's really funny so uh it doesn't have every movie and i was really happy that it had this but there's this um website i love called tvtropes.org um and it lists all like the famous tropes and you can like look up like a tv episode or a movie that has this and so i think it's so funny because there is a trope called camp straight um and Mm. they sort of explain it as um a camp straight is a man who exhibits some or all of the common characteristics of a camp gay, but is clearly heterosexual. So it's a play on this because he sings in the opening number, like, theater makes me gay, but I like guys. Or, like, but I like women. Like, yeah, he's I'm like, straight. I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm totally, or, like, I'm totally gay, but not in that way. Yeah. And then it gets uh, switched over because he actually ends up being an act and he is gay yeah it's so good because at the beginning of the movie he's singing that part and then this guy shows up who ends up being the um stage director and he's like i'm gay i'm gay but i'm I'm actually actually gay gay. and then at the end yeah um when uh sam walks off stage 
the stage director is like, you were fantastic, and he kisses yeah. him. And so you realize he's like, oh, well, he was I know. One gay. of, like, the top IMDb tags for this movie is gay kiss. That's... And I was There's like, one. That's I know. I was like, man, I'm not sure to be saddened by that or not. That the fact that this movie is getting labeled by gay kiss, like, let's watch all the movies that have gay kisses in it. It lasts like two seconds. There's no relationship between those characters. Yeah. So Sam goes in the back to prepare for his next scene. He has to do a quick change um, and he is killed. He sees Whitney in the mirror. Um, she like is kind of hidden among these costumes and then he's impaled through the chest with scissors. Um... And then Sheila's the next two. Sheila's just playing one of the, like, one of the random roles, I think. Um, she, but she was, like, helping Camilla with her singing, like, get ready for her singing. She, like, shows her a trick where if you go, if you keep the shower running you in, like, your dress room, you can go in and, like, warm up your vocal cords, basically. Um, and the killer comes in, and this is when he gives the one-liner, like, let me help you warm up. And he's, like, kind of, like, shoving her into this hot, like, scalding hot shower before he slits her throat with these buzzsaw, like, things that he has. I love that um, we find, like, the kills. Luckily, there's this website that also lists all the kills. Um, and we usually copy-paste that into our document. And I love, so the next kill is Buddy. He is killed by Roger. Because um, there's this big final confrontation where, like, the killer shows up and they're chasing Roger and then Camilla's chasing both of them. They all end up in the kitchen, which is very appropriate because that's like where the kids have like spent most of their time there. And um, it's all revealed. And then like Roger makes an attack on Buddy. Like he seizes the opportunity because Camilla and Buddy are having like this moment and she realizes her brother's a killer. So Roger, who has killed before, you know, stabs and it says here, stabs him 15 times with the kitchen knife. Um, and then Roger is finally chasing Camilla because in his head, he's like, okay, I have to make sure she dies because no one can know. Like, no one can know that I've done this mm-hmm. stuff. So they end up back in the theater. The whole time, by the way, this the play is still happening, and it's just uh, in shambles. Like, it's turned into this, like, Monty Python-esque act yeah. where, like, the stagehand who thought he was afraid to act has to go out and do, like, this goofy dance. And then the backup finally comes on, um, who's playing the role of... I can't remember the name of the role now, um, but like the main character, the main female character in the play, she's come out and they're like, they're doing this like goofy Looney Tunes, like battling for the spotlight thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all happening on stage while all this stuff is happening backstage. Yeah, which is like another trope called all part of the show. And it's like, yeah, the audience at the climactic play thinks the film's climax is part of the reinterpretation and they like when really it's not part of the play at all. It's just like this is what's happening because all these fucking people are getting murdered and big revelations are happening and the audience it is reminded like me completely a lot, like, done the, to it. If you've ever seen, oh, crap, what's that? Lights lights Off um, with Christopher Reeves and John Ritter. It's a really, really fantastic uh, movie if you ever get a chance to play it. But it reminded me a lot of that where like there's all this goofy stuff that's happening backstage and it ends up like ending up in their show because – like that's just how it works um but yeah roger chases her backstage and um he corners her and she takes a fucking buzzsaw and goes to use it on him he's like you don't have the guts and she hits the trigger and it doesn't work and then luckily um our guy who loves camilla joel, joel. uh comes through plugs it in and she fucking disembowels yeah. him and it's again very gory uh-huh. um, blood all over her drenched in blood um and then she finally like so she like disembowels him and then she comes out on stage where the two other characters are 
and then, like singing the final number. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like so yeah. weird. They're singing and the funny. final number, and then she comes out just covered in blood, and the audience loses it, and they yeah. love it. They're like, "Oh, it's fantastic!" Somewhere in the middle of all this, too, I can't remember exactly where it happened, but her the the female who's like playing opposite her who's also vying for the starring role it is going to drop a bucket of like fake paint or blood on her because she ended up getting the opening night spot and it does so drop eventually and it's a carrie reference yeah very very obviously a carrie reference so lots of horror movie references and the movie ends with camilla is on broadway now and yeah. she is a famous star her brother is dead roger is dead but she's on broadway she was picked up by this talent agent and she's the just like in the uh, beginning of the movie the lights turn off and she's like oh that's weird she like screws her light back in flips the light back on and in the beginning of the movie when the light flips on the phantom appears in the like in the room behind her and she's like oh what are you doing but in this one like she flips it on you kind of expect that it doesn't happen and then the metal killer jumps through the mirror so nightmare on elm street like 100 percent a callback to it's so slasher of, yeah like we're going to talk about it when we, like, go over it in the ranking, but, like, talk about hitting all of the notes. It's, like, reminded me of Nightmare, reminded me of Urban Legend. Yeah. Like, it just 100%. And then she, like, comes out of it. You realize that she was imagining Even Friday it. the 13th. Yeah. Yes. The boat the, scene. Yeah. yeah. So, and then she realizes the final she was imagining scare, That's it. a hallucination. Yep. That's, like, a famous slasher trope. And then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there are, there end up being seven kills total, um, two by Roger and one, one by, two, one, uh, by one Camilla. by Camilla, and then um, four by Buddy. Um, so Buddy is our main killer, but Roger is like the original killer, and then Camilla does one out of self defense. And I think the joy of this one too, it's like, I mean the the killer, the motive, it's for everybody. I mean Roger's just a terrible person, mm-hmm. and he kills out of jealousy it's and anger. 100%, yeah, jealousy. Um, and then, of course, Buddy kills out of revenge and, I mean, traumatization. Um, sees his mother gets killed, and then is basically like held under emotional captivity under Roger for ten years, and then breaks when he's reminded of the situation. Um, and then Camilla kills in self-defense. It's really, we get like our awesome final girl kill. Yep. Um, holy smokes. Yeah. So, uh, my, my favorite kill is as much, I, first of all, I love how bloody all the kills are because <sighs> yeah. that's what I, that's my kind of slasher. Man. Yeah. Like I love the disembowelment. Um, and I love the throat, like the throat stabbing, but my favorite kill is the ghost light. Like Artie is like when Artie gets it just the clamp hook through his foot his foot ripping in half um and then the ghost light in his face and like that shot is just so well done and so well executed it looks super cool just like the light bulb like in his mouth um that's my favorite kill in the movie I think my favorite kill is the opening kill. Mm. I love a good opening kill that really just sets you. Sets the tone. Yeah. Sets the tone. I mean, the original My Bloody Valentine did it. That was my favorite kill of the film, and I like feel the same way this one. Sets the tone. You get that nice break where you get to then know your characters, um, but you start off with that kind of like brutality and going like, all right, like I know what we're in for. Mm-hmm. So it's not... You're not, like, waiting the whole movie to be like, okay, like, when is this going to get going? Like, you already know, like, and you're just kind of, like, sitting in anticipation. And 
um, it helps sort of like build the tension the whole rest of the film because you're like, fuck, if that's where they started, like where is this going to go? Yeah. And I mean, it's savage. It's so savage. She's like stabbed in the throat and then literally the last one, it's like right in her open mouth. It's hella bloody. Blood spatters over these like white roses. It's super visual. It's mask. Yeah. Yeah, it's, It's beautifully visual, super gory and sets the tone for the whole movie. Um, but I do have to like give a special shout out. I love the one-liners. Oh like, my it's god, so it's so Freddy. It's so Freddy, it's it's so oh. Freddy which I love. Um, it so fits in with the killer, who especially once you find out it, it's Buddy. It's like you know we can sing. Like he has that talent, and he's like driven to madness because he's so upset this is happening. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of like, like you know, like you're gonna warm up. I'll fucking help you warm up. Like that's so good. So I love the one-liners, but my favorite kill is um, Kylie. Oh man. Um. Yeah. Um. He's. I mean, he's maniacal, which I love, yeah. and it's great too because, like you said, like. It's not a surprise that it's him. You're never, like, led to believe it's him, but you also aren't shocked. You're not like, oh, my God, it's the brother. But, it, like, it makes sense because you're like, dude, he's a killer singer. And it's yeah. so great because they play it off. Like like you said, they play it off like he's not interested. It's not his thing. He's never been in the theater. And you're like, of course he can also sing. Like, his mother was yeah. this incredibly talented singer, his yeah. sister. And so, like, he sings, too. It's just different. But yeah. it's so good still. And it isn't the actor himself who is the singer, actually, which I think is super fun trivia. It's this comedian named Rick Miller who actually got famous for, which I'm sure a lot of people have had, doing like the most annoying Bohemian Rhapsody where it's like a viral video where he um, does Bohemian Rhapsody as 25 different like hashtag like annoying voices in the music industry so really like persona voices that you can recognize like bob dylan neil young and meatloaf um meatloaf rolling stones ozzy like voices that if you hear bocelli um you're like oh yeah i know who that is ozzy makes sense too johnny cash a lot of his songs in the sound like ozzy to me like when yeah uh, when he comes out he has that like black sabbath it does it does have uh yeah it's uh so i thought that was funny it's like randomly this comedian who um, now I need to go. I know I've seen this before. Yeah, I want to um, watch it now, though. But now I like want to go back and watch it. So he's obviously like a voice impersonator. So I think it's really cool that he sort of did the voice of this character. Because I'm sure they could say, hey, we want you to sound like this. And he's like, cool, got it. Oh, yeah. Um, position in the horror landscape, none. Um, I, I I don't even think it has a cult following, really. No. I feel like any time I talk about this movie, I'm like, like oh, yeah, I'm, I haven't seen that one. Um, it's either, oh, yeah, I haven't seen it, or even, like, with... So I always talk about these with my group of writers for Ghastly Grinning, who are, like, some of the most varied and, like, eclectic group of horror movie watchers I know. And they're like, oh, my God, I forgot about that movie. Um, a couple of them hadn't seen it, but, like, mostly it's like, oh, I forgot about that. And it's funny because, like... I have loved this since I saw mm-hmm. it. Like, I saw it and I was like, I think oh, about this... it all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, I yeah. I really, really enjoyed the hell out of this movie. And I think, you know, like we said, being a theater kid plays a lot into it. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, though, if you're a fan of movies, you, like, a lot of fans of movies are theater kids or have been theater kids or in that world in some capacity, um, which I think is what draws us to movies a lot of the time. Um, but, yeah, I just... As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my god, I love this movie, and I just feel like it has no foothold at all. It needs 
it desperately needs like a Screen Factory release or like some one of those companies because I feel like that would put it back on the radar a little bit and help give it the. I think it deserves a cult following. I think so too. Um, it just hits so many of those things that like cult movies have. It's got like that kind of like weird tonal shifts. Um, it's a musical and a slasher. Uh, it's got this great like kabuki themed killer. These great one liners. Um, like the songs are like I would listen to these songs in the car. Like it's I know like and like when we I read that like Rotten Tomatoes like consensus saying like oh yeah we think like a musical and slasher genre would be good together but this isn't it like I just wonder I'm like did you like miss did you like miss all of the references and like homages and. Like, did you just not get it? Are you a fan of musicals and slashers? Because, like, I just don't understand how you can be a fan of these two genres and not um, get how good it is. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. So, uh, yeah. I just think it's a lack of... It didn't do well. It wasn't well-received. I think it just needs a little bit more love, hopefully. This brings a little bit more attention to it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I even so. my husband, who doesn't, he likes some musicals, but it's not really his thing. He likes um, Grease. He, he likes Grease. Um, he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't love the movie, but it's better than like a lot of the things that you guys watch. And he and loves so, the killer. I think yeah, the, he loves the killer. This killer is so it's cool. So he does cool. Like, I would love. I was thinking about it on my way over because if we do a cast on like a movie. I like to wear shirts of like movies we're casting about, mm-hmm. like My Bloody Valentine, or like you know we've done a when um, just like characters on shirts and stuff. And so I was like, this movie deserves like a cavity color shirt. You know, I yeah. would love with the Kabuki Killer. It'd be so cool. Yeah. He's such a cool killer. Um, and all of our friends were like, damn, he's hella cool. Yeah, uh, they all really enjoyed him. And like just like you said, his one liners. He sings his one liners, and like they're just so funny. Like the with the chick with the nails in her head he's he nailed it yeah nailed it uh yeah and the way he does it it's just <laughs> it's just really fun um i don't know i think it just deserves a lot more love than it's got um so we have to rank the movie well i'm gonna go over a couple of the trivia things which so we talked about it but it does like the camp locations uh oh, like reference to friday the 13th mm-hmm. the pins and the makeup head with this hellraiser um the bucket of blood for carrie the knife is um the halloween. halloween the style of the knife that they used um like i mentioned Minnie driver playing carlotta in the film version of phantom of the opera and she plays that same character in Haunting of the Opera in the film. So I think that was really great of her. I mean, she's in the movie for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great cameo. It's such a great cameo. I love it. And I think if you are like a fan of theater and like that, that movie, it's great to see her in it. Um, we mentioned the font um, and the Leatherface reference. It's just so great that they really are just purposely threw those things in there because i feel like this is both like making like playing on like the jokes and tropes of slashers and and musicals musicals while like doing them justice and on obviously honoring them and showing that they love them and so i always love that there's also like a numerous in jokes with the musical stuff that has like not like in their like rec room Basically, there's like a giant poster for a musical they've done called Kansas, which because they can't, you know, it's not Oklahoma. And then there's one mm-hmm. called Les Producerables, which is Les Mis and the <laughs> producers. So yeah. it's like it's all these like 
winking. It's very much winking at your audience. Yeah. Um, and it's never cheesy and it's never forced. Like none of these are like super heavy handed. It's just aware. Yeah. It's just like, hey. Aware of you, what it is and what it's paying tribute to. Yeah. It's like if you know what this is, you're going to get it. And if not, that's okay. It's going to, it's still going to look good. It's going to look cool. Um, yeah. So we have to rank it. Um, like I said before, check it out. Keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. Um, we have... 21 movies, uh, or 20 movies on here. This will be our 21st. Number one is still My Bloody Valentine, um, the original Fall by I Know What You Did Last Summer in the Burning, um, and then lots of stuff in between. And then the bottom is April Fool's Day with Slaughter High at 19 and Terror Train at 18. Um, man, I really like this movie. And I don't like it just because I'm a theater kid and like it plays with all those tropes and the musical things, which I do heavily enjoy. But like you were saying... I really like that it is a slasher movie. Like it feels like the blueprint formula for It's the blueprint. Yeah, so, we have we have like these first person POV shots of the killer. We have like these cool like these really graphic kills. We have this building of the characters so we actually have feelings about if a character dies, which most of the time we're like rooting for them to die because we don't like them. It starts off so we get our first kill, then we get a break. Um, we get our introduction to our killer. So and just think of it in relationship to My Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same. We have a killer in the beginning that's not our killer in the end. Um, we have a family-related killer, mm-hmm. um, which is a big slasher trope. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a cast of young somethings. We have um, the asshole who gets killed off. Uh, we have... Um, Oh my god, it's like literally hits the end scene um, is a classic slasher trope ending note where you have like, it comes back, you know? Um, And it just You think it's over and then really the killer comes back and kills them in a hallucination. Even movies like we've covered already, like I Know What You Did, um, it does that at the end because it's playing tribute to films like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street that does that. Mm-hmm. That does that fake out. Like, you think it's over, but it's not really. Yeah. The same fake out that Scream, like, winks at all the time. Yes. Um, and then also, like, like it's, it's so it does all that, but it also beautifully integrates, like, the musical aspect into it. So it's really good. Um, and then, you know, I think the score is great. Mm-hmm. I think it's a shame this guy hasn't directed anything else because it's really fun. It's just really fun. It is. Um, it's it's and, super enjoyable. Yeah, and it's got like some. It's got some like really great kill shots in it. Um, the poster is like fantastic. I think one of the. I honestly think one of the weakest parts of the movie is Camilla is not the best actress. She's well bland. Yeah, um, but like other than that, I enjoy it like on all fronts. We have a great villain. Oh, and the killer is just so like I can't a get themed over. killer. Yeah, a themed killer. Who uses themed kills and like one liner? It's everything I love about a killer. I'm looking at like number seven. Okay. Which would put it right under my Bloody Valentine 3D, right above Hatchet. Yeah, we've got awesome kills. I love Hatchet for like being a splatterpunk, like true mm-hmm. american slasher movie but, but like, doesn't hit the same slasher notes as this does no this just does it i feel like a lot like just neater um you looking higher no i'm just seeing what we have and make sure so hmm 
Yeah, I think seven is a good place for it. Cool. So yeah, it's right under my Bloody Valentine 3D. And um, I think it's interesting too, like looking at our list, as I see that we have a lot of our more modern movies. Um, like we have Urban Legend, um, I Know What You Did. Those are like popping up like in there with the burning and the original My Bloody Valentine. And I think it's because um, we haven't touched some of these um, bigger franchises. Yes. And obviously those are going to probably be up there higher because that's what these have inspired right but i think it's just such a true testament to these films that are inspired by these movies and how well they do it and kind of make it their own and that's what i loved about this is it hits all those it plays the blueprint of my bloody valentine which set the tone for what slashers are with everything the family connection the um small town or small isolation yep. setting yeah so we've got the camp setting which is great um the the killer that is themed or has one-liners or has um some kind of motive that relates back to the town or, or iconic kills yeah our iconic kills he literally hits like all of the notes and the the joy is that all the movies before this do that as well. Yeah. Um, Happy Death Day is the only one on here that doesn't follow the blueprint. And the reason it is so high is because it flips it. And we're appreciating it and showing what a good slasher it is because it doesn't follow the formula. Right. And so it kind of fits in there on its own. There's something to be said for that too. But to be able to do that, it has to do it very well. Um, which a lot of the movies haven't succeeded um, as well as Happy Death Day with taking the the themes and the blueprint oh, and, yeah. and flipping it. So that's why that one stands a little high. Um, and then I think in regards to the the films that's beating out is um, the musical aspect and the production is a little bit higher than some of these. But I don't think it's better than... Because I'm trying to think like, well, what makes it better than My Bloody Valentine 3D or Urban Legend? Um and because that's a, probably about as high as I'd rank it. Right. But I still think that with Urban Legend and My Bloody Valentine 3D, I think the 3D aspect and the kills of uh, the 2009 Bloody Valentine, like, pushed that film. Like, it took the original, flipped it on its edge, um, took inspiration from it, but did something so different right. and so successful. Was able to create something that is a remake but still stands on its own. And is so different. Right. And the fact that they used this newer technology um, at the... Well, I mean, it's real 3D. So it's not... 3D isn't newer technology, but it's like one of the only movies, I think, to successfully use the 3D kills and make them... I mean, Friday the 13th 3D is fun. And they do like a lot of silly things because it's 3D. Yeah. But my body, bloody Valentine kind of took that and was like, hmm, how can we use the 3D to make these kills specific and unique to our film? Because you can only do it because it's in 3D. I think that's what pushes this above. Also for me, my bloody Valentine had true moments of like fear. This movie isn't scary. Oh no 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 no! no not at all. At all. There's it's, no fear. You laugh at the killer yeah. every single time it's he appears. And themed, you laugh. But definitely not. Like it's it's not scary. But no. like my buddy Valentine actually had moments of yeah. truth. Oh, like, I, like that grocery store scene, dude. That yeah. scene like gave Ooh. me chills. Yeah, there's parts in that. Yeah. And then yeah, like you said. Um, and then I think Urban Legend just um does so well. Like 
does what this does so well, mm-hmm. which is just embraces what it like embraces that scream era of sla- era of mm-hmm. slasher and like really uses that and infuses like you know the theme like really embraces its theme kills, mm-hmm. um, gives you a great supporting cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so ca- it it yeah. kind of does what stage fright yeah. does, but a little elevated. Yeah, and I think although our killer isn't as cool and the motive isn't as cool in Urban Legend, I think she's the reveal is better in Urban Legend mm-hmm. and more maniacal. And the ending of that one, I think, like although it's not as true to the formula, like plays the other like sequel. Yeah, trope, yeah, I really which is like great. The ending of Urban Legend. Um, yeah. So I think Seven's a perfect place for this film. Cool. I think this is exactly where it belongs. So it is our new number seven. So pushing Hatchet down eight and then right under My Bloody Valentine 3D. Um, yeah, so you can find that list and uh, let us know how you feel about it. Um, thanks to everyone who has been like reaching out to us. There's lots of you um, at Gailey Dreadful, at Classic Material. I mean, Aaron and Brennan, we love you forever. Um, so thank you, especially for you two. I mean, Brennan, for everything you do for the show, and Aaron for binging us on your flight back to Australia. Yeah. Um, and reach out to us, let us know. I don't know if we're going to do another summer one. We're heading in the fall, so we'll probably start looking at that stuff. But yeah, we don't have one picked for next for the next show. So if you have any ideas, let us know. Um, and, yeah, we're you know, good. Getting excited. Getting close to Halloween, so. I know our next, what are we? And we're in August. I think our next episode's probably going to be in September, yeah? It it will be. Yeah, so. It'll be the first weekend of September, so we're getting into fall. Um, Yeah, but go to keepscreaming.com, download us on Stitcher, CastBox, or iTunes. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, reach out to us, and until then, keep screaming!